Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What is up, everybody? My name is Brandon First, aka First Report, representing the ESBC Gambling Podcast Network. It is Friday, July 3rd. Let me be the first to wish you a happy 4th of July weekend tonight. Myself and U.S. local corruption historian Josh Vizke are going to break down the AAC college football uh, conference because, let's be honest, it's never too early to talk college football. But before we get into that, let's, let, let me tell you why you should listen to us. We know your time is valuable, and that's why we're going to give you our value right off the bat. Going back to last season, our picks speak for themselves. Bowl season was pretty much our personal bank account as we hit on every game, either against the spread or over under, usually both. And we see guys like Stephen A. Smith, Max Kellerman, Colin Cowherd. They're all giving you absolutely no value. Uh, the only thing they're giving you is- are not making you money. We're making you money. Exactly. We put money in your pocket along with our own. And that's the main thing. We are here to make money for ourselves and if you would like to join that is what we're here to do as well uh the number two rule of the podcast is to do your research luckily for you we have you covered and a, and a reminder that we drop content every single day uh saturdays are josh's mental health first aid kit sunday i will give you uh, my major league baseball gambling podcast as we are very very close about three weeks away from opening day Monday, Josh and I reunite to talk a little NBA basketball. Tuesday, Josh teaches us financial education to fight income inequality. And special announcement, this coming Tuesday will be the beginning of Raider Jim's horse racing show uh, on every Tuesday as we get ready to see Del Mar. Del Mar is about a week away from opening. It will be behind closed doors. But believe me, there still will be betting and Raider Jim has you covered and we go to yeah, win. Like backstory. Uh, we got uh, the podcast with Tim Conway, and we talk about horse freaks. It sets the table for, for those folks who don't know what uh, horse racing is and what horse racing does. And it's not, and, and it goes for all the sports, right? It's not just the money we're making you, it's being part of a culture, a community, because it's not just the money, it's having fun watching the games. Exactly. And uh, we, we, we keep it going on Wednesday when myself and 2016 California College Coach of the Year, Brandon Lupian, talk about the top gambling sport stories of the week. That show is always a wealth of information across all gambling spectrums. Um, obviously, each day is a, a specific sport, but that Wednesday, we break it all into one show. It's a really uh, great, great content. And then Thursday, we have Greg Bird as he continues his series on the corruption uh, that everyone is facing in today's society. I've learned a lot from Greg Bird personally, and uh, if you've listened as well, I know you have as well. But tonight, of course, Fridays are going to be college football um, with myself and Josh. Tonight we focus on the American Athletic Conference, the AAC, because like I said, it's never too early to talk football. And of course, I'm joined by our local corruption bulldog, Josh Vishke. How are you doing tonight, sir? Every day is a great day. Uh, we're very fortunate lucky and good that we are able to have as much fun as we're having to have a guy like tim conway hollywood icon royalty share with us fun stories about to be honest uh 
if it wasn't for Sports Illustrated and reading about sports, I would not be as literate as I am now, sad to say. And he talked about how he learned math from his dad at the racetrack, you know? Those are just invaluable stories uh, that we bring to the table. And uh, I can speak for first report on this. We've been very, very lucky, you know, to live not only in the greatest country in the world, but to have really good parents and to live in perfect weather, San Diego. So we have a lot of gratitude and a lot of humbleness if we feel fortunate, lucky, and good because we put in the work, right? We're not breaking down the AAC September 10th at the casino before a game and you got to go to the window in five minutes. We're not doing that. Today is the July 3rd and we're breaking down the AAC Honoring the second rule of betting. Always do your research. Exactly. And and it's 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 so important. And it's like he said, you know, you, you can't do your research five minutes before you put that bet in because you're gonna make a mistake. Now look, you might get lucky here once or twice, but you're not gonna be over the fifty-two point five, which is of course the magic number for this podcast. That's the break-even point to make money. And that's really what it's all about. Um you're it's like to a stockbroker, right? Because it, right now, I just saw it where, I mean, it's unprecedented, where FanDuel just made a deal with a Denver Brock. So you're basically having a bookie making a deal with a professional football team. And like Greg Wolf will tell you, we've been telling you, a bookie is a broker dealer. Like when you go to Merrill Lynch, go to Ameritrade, they're a broker. So FanDuel is now a broker, Right. Now, when you go to a stockbroker to grow your portfolio, they have a system for you to make money, right? That's the same thing we have here. I have an MBA, Master's of Business Science. We use decision science. We use fundamental analysis. We use technical analysis, right? So the same way you pick an investment is the same way you pick a football game. And that's why we teach you here. That's why we've made so much money the last 12 years. And you can go back to the podcast from the beginning and listen to the whys. Those are more important than the ones uh, that are newer because you're not worried about the outcome. You're like, how the hell did these guys get 80%? People are like, oh, how did you get 80%? I said, listen to the podcast. We put it, like they say in football, I put it on tape. Oh, you could do this. We should pick you in the second round. Yeah, we put it on tape. And we're going to take it further as this has been the most transparent uh, betting financial podcast in the history of mankind. We're going to take it a step further. We challenge anybody to do the same. We're going to have a live spreadsheet on our website and on Twitter where you can track our success. But learn the whys, right? It's a pandemic. It's a recession. There's riots. So why not monetize uh, watching, uh, in this case, American uh, athletic conference football games? Exactly. We're, we'll dive right in. Um, and, and just a reminder, as we did with the ACC last week, uh, we're going alphabetical. This isn't um, order or anything like that, just alphabetically. So we start with Cincinnati. Um, last season, they go 11-3, and 7-1 and one in the AAC, end up losing back-to-back games um, to Memphis at the end of the year. Uh, the Last one uh, at the end of the regular season didn't mean a ton because both teams knew they were going to play in the conference title game the next week. 
but when the ta- when the marbles were on the floor, as they say, uh, Memphis got the win as well. So that kept Cincinnati out of a BCS bowl game. Um, when we look at college, we always want to look at the returning starters. Offensively, Cincinnati has five returning with uh, their quarterback Desmond Ritter is one of those. Uh, defensively, they got eight coming back. Uh, they do have the entire defensive backfield coming back, including the nickelback, Javon Hicks. We look at the coaching staff, and one thing is obvious. It's when Luke Fickle got here three years ago, his assistants, at least offensively and defensive coordinator, they're still there. So there's a lot of continuity. If you've been with this program for the last three years, not a whole lot's changed. That's big for college athletics. Um, and we look at guys who obviously Luke Fickle, former Ohio State assistant, uh, Mike Denbrock, the offensive coordinator, longtime Notre Dame assistant, was actually on the staff for the Irish's 2012 BCS title appearance. Um, the biggest thing with him, heavy re- uh, recruiting rep. A lot of people think he's one of the best recruiters in the country. And then we look at the defensive coordinator, Marcus Freeman. He's only 34, yet he's in his 10th year of coaching, former defensive coordinator at Purdue. Um, and look, Cincinnati's had the top-rated uh, defense in the conference the last two years. So the numbers speak for themselves when it comes to the coaching staff. We look at Luke Finkel, right? Uh, a lot of college football coaches want to recruit guys for winning programs. And Luke Finkel, uh, he's an Ohio legend. Uh, he's an Ohio uh, wrestling champion. So you can go on YouTube and watch him wrestle. I think you want to look at the one where he's like a freshman, uh, where he's wrestling a guy that's a lot bigger than him, and he comes back at the end and wins, and the crowd goes crazy. He goes to Ohio State, uh, and then he wins a uh, national championship with uh, that famous uh, Ohio State game against Miami. No, per- no pass interference. There was never any pass interference. <laughs> but Luke, Luke Finkel got a national Then he got another one with uh, Urban Meyer. And he goes to Cincinnati, and he's won like 30 games. And the guy's a winner. He's a really smart guy. I've seen him address just the way he talks. He was a defensive coordinator. Uh, Till now, he's a very polished, polished guy. He's making $3 million a year. Uh, and he's a defense first, let's run the ball, right? So, but he, at the end of the season, when the guys are hurt, uh, he's pragmatic, right? So we talk about situational intelligence. Real intelligence is situational intelligence. So when he played Memphis, he knew that he can just sit there and run the football and play defense. He knew he had to uh, get some trick plays, open up the offense a little bit, and try to win in a shootout, right? So what does that mean? That means that uh, I cashed the over twice. Last year in the in the Cincinnati uh, Memphis games, right? Money in the pocket. And I think it was championship week where there was a championship game and they were part of uh, Brandon First and I going, uh, I think we, we only missed one game championship week and that wasn't one of them. And we got the side and the overall because Cincinnati covered, even though they didn't win the game, they covered, I think it was uh, like plus 11. 
So I was taking candy from a baby over any other. And it's because we're doing the research now, all right? And when you pick a stock and you're investigating a company, whether you should put your hard-earned money, right, part of your life savings in this company, you have to research everything from A to Z. And we live in the information age where you, you pretty much can know everything, right? You can even go to the company and say, I'm an investor and walk around and talk to people, right? So you have to know the management. That's why we talk so much on these podcasts about the coaching staffs, about the athletic directors, the president, right? Because you have to know the management structure and how they're thinking, right? So we pretty much mapped out how Luke Finkel thinks, but it's not just doing that. We monetized it. And our account went higher. It's money, right? My wife hasn't bought gasoline. That is not betting money since 2011. That's the result of being able to analyze and mind map Luke Finkel. Okay. So what happened earlier in the season? Games for sure are going to go under because that's his philosophy. But he's a great recruiter. Uh, you don't get to be at Ohio State for as long as he has been if you're not a great recruiter, right? Uh, his X and O's are simple, right? We're going to win with defense. We're going to run the ball, right? So that that's Cincinnati. They're going to be good. Uh, I can't bet my own team. I'm a graduate of an AA school, University of South Florida. But uh, we should have beat them last year. It was just uh, like a discipline from the Charlie Strong coaching staff. But we out-talented them. Uh, we pushed them up and down the field, and uh, we gave them the game. Cincinnati's going to have a lot more talent. Even though last year, they were 11-3. year before that, they won 10 games. So he has some rolling there. We see a lot of transfers from the Alabamas of the world. So they're, they're going to be that type of team. But uh, early in the season, you want to pick the under. Later in the season, you want to pick overs. And USF plays them October the 3rd uh, in Cincinnati, and we're not, we're not afraid of them. It will be interesting. September 26th, when they go to Nebraska, That'll be an interesting game because that game will uh, go a long way in determining whether the conference champion from the AAC will continue that streak now three years in a row of going to the uh, college football playoff, which is a $32 million payday for that conference. And right now, the Mountain West with one of the worst commissioners of all time, Craig Thompson, with his intelligence, has shut out the Mountain West from that third. I don't think they've ever had that. Well, did they? What was the last time Boise State was in there? I can't even remember. Under the – so the, the way it is now with the whole six bowls being the big ones, um, right. uh, the Mountain West hasn't got there, but – Obviously, yeah, the Boise's and then the Utah's, Urban Meyer, Utah's, they were sending teams to BCS Bowls, but not the top, what, what, is, what do they call it, the other five? Um, yeah, yeah, the not the other, they've never won the other five highest ranking. 
um, right. since that's been since whatever five or six years, since the college football playoff began. Right. So at $32 million a pop for three years, Craig Thompson has blown around $96 million for the conference. Then now that we're in a pandemic and uh, college campuses' budgets are uh, are tightening because of the they can charge less for t- tuition and the auxiliary because of, you know people taking online classes. There's nobody at the bookstore buying candy or anything like that. So uh, that extra ninety-four million dollars just come in handy to the AAC, and you got to keep that in mind. Why do we keep that in mind as we're betting? Because then you start looking at uh, ref calls, right? So. Uh, that's why that game was funny. That Cincinnati uh, uh, Memphis game, that second game was funny. We knew that Memphis was going to get all those calls because if Memphis didn't get those calls, that's $32 million less for the AAC. And especially now in a pandemic and the fact that people don't pay attention, right? The same way people don't want to wear masks, don't want to social distance, don't want to do anything. It's the same reason they're betting on games and don't believe that the refs can determine the outcome, right? And this is a podcast that we're talking about money. We're talking about business. So we do not have the luxury of believing in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny, right? So that's something that you have to keep in mind when betting Cincinnati Bearcat football. Perfect. And moving on from there, we got uh, East Carolina. Um, they had a they had a rough year last year. Went four and four and eight overall, one and seven in the conference. They have eight returning starters on offense, uh, including three offensive linemen and quarterback Holton Ayers or Allers, and that's how you pronounce it. Uh, and then defensively, um, they have seven returning starters, notably middle linebacker um, had, uh, Xavier Smith. He had eighty one tackles. There's actually all three uh, linebackers are returning, so that's somewhat of good news. Uh, the even better news, though, is now while they are 4-8 and eight and it doesn't really look like this year is going to get better, I will say Mike Houston, uh, it's only his second year, obviously, 4-8 and eight last year. It's a guy who's pretty much won wherever he's gone. 2016 uh, with James Madison, he won the FCS National Championship. Um, and then you also have similarly – to what we saw with Cincinnati, we have um, a bit of, it's more the coaches are comfortable with each other rather than the coaches being at a school for a long time. But Mike Houston has brought Donnie Kirkpatrick, who actually coached at Eastern Carolina from 2005 to 2015, ended up leaving to go to James Madison, um, and then came back when Houston came back as well. Same thing with Blake Harrell. It'll be his first year as defensive coordinator um, but he was an assistant under Houston at Lenore Ryan and the Citadel where Houston was very, very uh, successful. And this is a team that's getting better, but it's still not good. But I will say, I think there are going to be covers on this schedule. I think the lines are going to be um, uh, skewed. Now, they're not a terribly talented team, but I do think they're going to be a well-coached team. Um, so that will get them some covers. I do think the month of November is going to be very telling for them. They start uh, a road game pretty much October 30th against Tulsa. And then they have road games during that month at Cincinnati and at Temple. It's going to be very tough for them, um, but we will see how Mike Houston kind of, if he's able to keep this team together. But I do think 
There are plenty of covers here. I could see East Carolina covering six or seven times this year. Right. Uh, and, and you hit the nail on the head, right? Uh, Mike Houston is a great coach. Okay. Just texting back uh, my dad. I'll call him later. <laughs> He's 86 years old in Florida, and he listens to nothing of what I say. No social distancing, no mask. 86 years old. Uh, he's a pastor. And uh, the flock, they're all listening to him. Uh, between me and my brother, just uh, for our conscience, we've called all his flock. We told him not to listen to him. But what, what, what can we do? All we can do is that. But Mike Houston, you got two types of teams, right? You have your blue bloods, LSU, Notre Dame. USC, Clemson, right? Those teams, Alabama, right? Those teams uh, just can, like they used to say with uh, Pat Riley, just roll out the ball, right? They got phenomenal athletes. But you got Coach O, you got uh, Nick Saban. And not only do they got, you know, uh, their offensive linemen are 6'6", 350 pounds, and run four twos, bench press, 2,000 pounds. They develop these guys. They develop their football skills. They're very skilled. They're very detail-oriented. So not only are they physically talented, a lot of these guys are smart. They don't get guys that didn't get good SATs and get good grades in high school. They're also um, phenomenal athletes. They're smart, and they develop. So when the guy is as a freshman, he's totally different as a senior because they develop, right? Teams like East Carolina, and we'll talk about them, are 100% developmental teams. doesn't mean that a guy that goes to East Carolina who's a zero star might not, as a fifth-year senior, get drafted into the NFL and be drafted higher than some five stars. Uh, we have Coach Scott, right, from USF. I heard him say uh, Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro was a zero star. He said Hunter Renfro was on the field while well, five star was with me on the sidelines, right? Because they're also developmental program. This guy's a developmental guy. But when you start looking at the scores, that's why you have to do your research, people, right? You start looking at the scores, even though they were four and eight, they lost by 10 or fewer points four times. So that means that they were one play away. They were four plays away from being uh, eight and four instead of four and eight. So the, what does that tell you? It tells you that Mike Houston, right? We're studying the management. He's a great uh, strategist. So you don't win uh, a national championship on the FCS level if you're not a good strategist. Why? Because you don't have the talent. I mean, Nick Saban, right, is a great strategist, right? But he doesn't have to be. I mean, it's a luxury he has strategy because he can line up and he can win nine or ten games on pure talent alone, all right? Mike Houston can't do that. Mike Houston has to figure out a way out of nowhere to win some games, and he likes doing it, and he's getting paid a lot of money to do it because he did it at, uh, at uh, James Madison, right? So we use that knowledge, and we put it in our pocket, and then how do you make money on this? When they have the, the backup uh, line maker 
and East Carolina's playing Missouri, right? East Carolina's playing Missouri on a Saturday night, late night, right? And, and it's weird because Missouri's sort of – it's in the middle, so it's a weird time. Game's coming at 9 p.m., and you got Missouri minus 29, man, right? Me and Brandon first going East Carolina all the way because we know Mike Houston is going to figure out a way to keep that game close. And Missouri has bigger fish to fry. They're going to play basic football. They're not trying to cover the spread. They're trying to win the game. <laughs> and not – they play Alabama next week or two weeks. Missouri's not going to show the whole playbook against East Carolina. All right? That's why uh, I was sitting next to a mobster. I'll never forget this. I was sitting next to uh, a mobster in this place called uh, Newport Beach. Newport uh, – what's that place called? It's uh, – uh, it's not Newport Beach. It lived near Newport Beach. Now. It's uh, Muscle Beach. New, Newport Ritchie. Okay. It's a place called Newport Ritchie. It's a whole sort of a hidden beach town in Florida with all the mobsters and people that commit crime. Go. I was sitting at the bar next to a mobster. He was there with his two big bodyguards, and we're in a conversation. And I go, man, you know, what's what's your like secret of success? And he said, like, you think with your head, not with your feet, you know? And you think about what is he saying? It's how we broke down the, f- the fictitious East Carolina-Missouri game, right? Minus 29 at Missouri. And Tim Conway, Tim Conway had a good point yesterday. He was talking about hockey, uh, picking road teams in hockey games because they get extra numbers, right? So. Key numbers 28, right? Looking at this, key numbers 28 is 29, right? For a reason, right? So you're getting an extra number. On top of that, we got our guy, Mike Houston, who makes nothing, <laughs> right? He, 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 you know, four close losses. That's how you know that he he's going to keep that game close. We're going East Carolina all the way. Really, we did that with Washington State in the Pac-12 uh, tournament. We knew that was going to be a close game. We're getting... Uh, minus 13, plus 13. This may be the last game for some Washington State guys they'll ever play organized. They're going to play the game of their life, man, the conference tournament. You're giving me plus 13 against uh, Boyle, who runs his team to death. <laughs> so that was the last bet we won pre-pandemic. That's why that bet is close, near and dear to our heart. But we did that thinking with our head, not with our feet. So there you go. Moving on to uh, the Houston Cougars, who – uh, before I get into them, we gotta we gotta put a little caveat on them. This is this is a team that about a month and a half ago uh, opened up camp, and I believe about six to ten players uh, were tested for tested yeah, positive for COVID. Was like nineteen. Was yeah, like, and, and uh, they shut down camp. So officially, they are not practicing. I'm sure something's going on, but. There is not any organized team activities officially going on. That is something we have to be mindful of, no matter how much talent or lack thereof that they have. The fact that they're already probably a month and a half behind some of these other schools. Uh, USF USF has been practicing. Exactly. Old time. Pretty much all these teams have. Yeah. Um, And obviously Houston, that's. The teams never stop practicing. Yeah. Uh, Where where the head coach would put the computer 
right? We'll have the mom put the computer on the windowsill and watch the kid run in the backyard while the head coach is watching him. Then he gets back to the computer and the coach coaches him. But uh, yeah, Houston went up four and eight last year, went two and six in the conference. They have eight offensive returning starters, uh, seven defensive returning starters. This is a team coached by Dana Holgerson, who you probably remember, longtime West Virginia coach, uh, succeeded after, or well, I don't know if he succeeded, but he, uh, yeah, succeeded. Uh, Rich Rodriguez came in after him. Uh, he, he's, he's an air raid guy. He learned under Mike Leach, Mike Gundy, and others, and he's bringing that to Houston. It did not go very well last year. A lot of talent, but it seemed as if there was already a rift between coaching and uh, and players, just like that. A lot of grumblings about um, maybe practices being a little too hard, and it kind of showed because health was a huge problem, especially on the offensive line. The defense was maybe the worst out of any um, any non-real small conference school. Uh, they ranked 118th in total defense. They, they do get five transfers in on the defensive side, which is nice, but it's almost they, – they really – if they're not practicing right now, it's hard to figure out which one of those five guys or which of those five guys are actually going to be relied upon. Um, but on the positive side, they, the, uh, the offense does have another year to, uh, uh, to digest Dana Holgerson's air raid attack as we have Clayton Toon returning – um, all three wide receivers are returning. The running back and the tight end all come back. Not a ton of talent, but at least one more year under Dana Holgerson. But like I said, all of this comes with the caveat of no practicing right now. They are not practicing officially. I'm sure something's going on, but they are already behind the eight ball when it comes to the other teams in this conference. Right. And you got to break down the situation, right? Uh, in decision science, it's common sense. But we know common sense isn't too common. But decision science is used by all the big companies, Google, everybody else. You get as much information as possible before making a decision. So you look at a guy like Dina August, right? He's a cheap guy who's now making $4 million a year. And I noticed this with Mike Gundy wearing their hat. Uh, I've noticed this with some NBA players, some baseball players, or Mike Trout. Guys who, whose great-grandbabies are already rich, they don't need to make another dime the whole rest of the year. A lot of these guys, right? Holgerson fits into that. The coach at Oklahoma State fits into that. Uh, they really do not have a lot to gain by playing during a pandemic, right? And a lot of these guys are genuinely concerned for players. They don't want them to have uh, – because – yeah, COVID-19 has only killed one person in Orange County under the age of 24, but we don't know what COVID-19 does when it gets in your body, right? Some people have uh, lung damage, some people have liver damage, some people have kidney damage. Gobert or whatever still is heavy of breath. He still hasn't recovered yet. We don't know the long-term effects. So these guys are thinking of this, right? Salesmen think short-term, businessmen think long-term. They're going to, uh, last week it was valuable, valuable. We went through this. Because this is just as valuable for us as it is for you. Uh, because none of us have time. When somebody tells me, oh, I don't have time. No, nobody has. I don't even have any kids. And I don't have time, right? 
So this is the dual role. And last week, I, it really popped into me that Boston College is probably going to tank the season. And we are in the era of tanking. Um, NFL teams have tanked forever. But last year was the first year NFL teams, it was obvious they were tanking. There wasn't even a pretense. Some teams were 100% tanking, right? So you got to look, you know, at Houston maybe tanking. Uh, now, Houston is one of the uh, two teams in the AAC. I know uh, Oklahoma State used to be called Boone Pickens University. We have a billionaire who just doesn't have to work, so he takes over the whole program. Houston is Fertetta. Fertetta, uh, he's a Houston alum, and he's donated. Listen to this, right? He's donated $500 million dollars to the University of Houston. And he's a young guy, outspoken guy. Uh, hey, listen from billionaires. I like listening to billionaires. Go online and go, uh, I think his name is Chris Fatetta, uh, Houston, right? Very successful man, young man, multi-billionaire. And he's really retired. He's frankly a David Tepper, the owner of Carolina. He's retired. He's very involved in the Houston football. And he's very involved in the Houston basketball program. And he's owner, the owner of the Houston Rockets. He owns the arena. He owns the Houston Rockets as well. Very involved in sports, sports guy. So he's handing uh, Holgerson $4 million a year to close. He was happy that he ran the team to death because they want not just guys who are in shape. They want mentally tough guys. They want their type of guys. He wants his type of team. And, and Fratello says, I want to win a national champion. He's willing to pay for a national champion and do it right. So really, man, if you want to play football and then you want to graduate and have Chris Fatetta on your side, go to Houston, man. And, and they know you're legit because you made it to the practices without quitting. Because half the team quit uh, the under Kings and Miami now. So I think they're going to tank this year because they're not – there's no way. There's no way they can make up a month and a half on the rest of the conference. You know, think – I, you know – Finkel's a very good and integral guy, but he figured out a legal way. He's a wrestling champion. He's a workout warrior. You see right now, dude is in shape. Uh, you know, he's a you know wrestling type guy. So he had them all uh, ready to go. None of the team stopped practicing. So, I mean, Houston against Cincinnati, that'll be a blowout, Cincinnati, you know? So uh, I think Houston's tanking. Fertetta, business guy, billionaire, long-term thinker. You know, that's the way businesses are run. Long-term, five-year plan. That's what Fatera did. And his uh, five-year plan turned into billions of dollars. And now as a young man, he can just drop $500 million into the University of Houston. It is a tax deduction for him, tax mitigation. But nevertheless, uh, not many of us can just pull $500 million out of our pocket and give it to our alma mater, all right? Uh, you know, I pull out ten grand and give it to USF alumni every year. You know, as you know, as a tax deduction, a lot less than five hundred million dollars. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's Houston. I think they're tanking. Uh, they don't have DeAndre King. They don't have. They're not going to have players for COVID-19, and they're going to have the players that quit from last year. So right now, I bet you that Dana Holgerson and his staff are out there on the recruiting trail. However, 
You got to look hard at the overs. You can't stop anybody. And Dana Holgerson is a offensive guru. What does that mean? He's not going to stop trying to score when he's down 50 points. I think we saw that in that Oklahoma game. That game went over for us. Why? Because we knew Dana. Well, that was an easy game that went over. You have two offensive coaches. They were against uh, Oklahoma or Air Raid. So regardless of what the score is, both coaches weren't going to stop trying to score. And that game ended up uh, 49-31. And at one point, it was 41-10. to so Houston kept trying to score. They had DeAndre King. And that game went over for us, a nice over uh, and a biased guess. That was Houston. Uh, moving on to the defending conference champs, uh, Memphis. They have uh, six returning starters on the offense, and uh, the big ones are definitely uh, quarterback Brady White, who threw 33 touchdowns last year. Uh, also, wide receiver DeMonte Coxie had 1,276 receiving yards. And then they look at running back Kenneth Gainwell, who had almost 1,500 yards. We look at the defensive side. They have seven returning starters, including defensive end uh, Joseph Dorcius, who had 14 and a half tackles for loss. Very impressive. And the coaching staff, this is where I think Memphis actually has a bit of an advantage um, over Cincinnati, and I'll tell you why. Uh, my, Ryan Silverfield, not so much. He was, he was the interim coach last year in the Cotton Bowl. Um, but I'm looking at defensive coordinator. They're higher they got this year, Mike McIntyre. Uh, about three or four years ago, he was national coach of the year when he took you know, Colorado, a team that – you know, if they win eight games, they're very, very excited. Took that team to the Pac-12 championship game. Fell a little short, but he was a national coach of the year. This is a guy that not only is a good defensive coach, but this is a guy that Ryan Silverfer Silverfield can uh, rely on to, wow. to mold him to be that head coach. Obviously, Mike Norvell uh, was the head coach of Memphis last year. He has moved on to Florida State. Um, Ryan Silverfield is the new guy in charge and he has plenty of weapons um, to look at or to play with, but the biggest thing has to be the defense. Last year, it was a uh, negative for them and was, they were 61st overall and 91st against the run. And it really showed in the cotton bowl against Penn state where they allowed 54 points. Um, look, Penn state was, uh, was better in, Memphis, but they weren't that much better than Memphis. It was a little disheartening to see that um, from them. But Mike McIntyre coming in, I think, could be the reason why Memphis goes back-to-back. -back. They're going to have a hard time with uh, Cincinnati, and the team will get to a little later, UCF. But Mike McIntyre is going to be the guy. I think he's, he's, they, this puts Memphis just a little bit ahead of everybody else. Okay. So uh, – Houston has Fratetta, billionaire. Now, mm. with these guys, uh, it's their ego, right? Uh, alumni ego. That's why they drop so many, now billions of dollars into these programs. I mean, Boone Pickens uh, donated $1.1 billion, that's with a B, to Oklahoma State and made uh, the guy there, Mullet Man, OEN t shirt, a multi, multi, multi millionaire, right? and a middle-level Big 12 school. Same thing's going on with Memphis. Memphis, uh, 
Fred Smith donated close to a billion dollars. Fred Smith is the owner and founder of FedEx. <laughs> the man founded FedEx. <laughs> All right. And uh, let's look for fun here while we talk. How much is FedEx worth, right? Market value of FedEx. Why he can afford to drop a billion dollars on well, this is what he did, right? And uh, uh, Tritana did the same thing. These are smart guys. They're not like our politicians who don't earmark things. So for Tritana says, I'm going to give $750 million to the general fund of the university. And I want $250 million of this to go to the football program. And I want $100 million to go into the basketball program. That's why Houston can afford to pay Holgerson $4 million a year coming out of the AAC. Now, Summerfield is a corporate sales guy, right? And he goes in and he recruits that 11 and one team. He, the recruiting coordinator, right? So you have two types of coaches. You have your X's and O's guy and you have your recruiting guy. It's very rare that you have a guy like Nick uh, Satan who can do both, right? Uh, you got a guy like Lame Kiffin. I would argue Lame Kiffin can only do one. He can recruit well, but X's and O's, he sucks. Same thing for Sarkeesian, all right? Same thing for him and uh, Clay Hill. But how hard is it to recruit at USC? But I digress. It's hard to recruit at Memphis. And Summerfield, can, I mean, Summerfield, he was a preacher. You would, you, would, you would tell people, hey, listen, leave your wallet at home. Leave your credit card at home. Don't go to this man's church. Because you will have no money left after you leave it. He goes to every recruit's house. doesn't matter if he's being recruited by Alabama, LSU. He's getting him at Memphis, right? So Fred Smith says, yeah, man, you fit my ego well. I'm going to pay you whatever he's getting. He's getting $3 million a year. coach." Now you say, how can they get a guy like McIntyre? Because McIntyre's dad was a coach. McIntyre's a man of faith. So he's like Gus Monson, Andy Reid, all these guys, men of faith. I mean, he's a real man. I mean, the, when he's not coaching, he's in jail preaching to guys. All right, that's the way McIntyre is. And out of nowhere, he gets uh, Colorado to the Pac-12 championship, right? Because he knows how to remember developmental teams versus teams that have talent, right? He's a developmental coach. However, he's been a head coach. So how can Memphis afford to drop a million dollars a year? for their defensive coordinator and get a guy like McIntyre. Fred Smith, Fred Smith wrote the check. I want to win. I got billions, right? I want to win, right? And, and why do you know this? So you know how to bet these games. So with all things being equal, there's going to be a line this year. Let's say uh, Memphis at Cincinnati. And it's going to be Cincinnati minus eight. That's Memphis all the way. Because I hate using this corporate term. I hate it. I hate it because uh, he overused it when I was in the corporate world. But for our purposes of explanation, so things are clear for you, so you can make money. So when you have apples to apples, and you have a big game like that, that's the game where uh, McIntyre comes big as a coach because he's going to strategize like we saw Mike Houston do, right? And he's going to have that game be a fourth quarter game they only cover a plus eight with McIntyre. So that's very important, that point. First report brought up 
of who is that defensive coordinator. Because even though they had a bad defense last year, the man knows how to strategize like Mark Houston. All right? And uh, make us money when it's a plus number. All right? So looking at the market value of FedEx. So FedEx is worth $65 billion. Remember, he's the owner and founder of it. So that means that when he sells it, all the money goes to him. So he's probably pulling off. His salary is probably about $1.1 billion a year. <laughs> so the fact that he took one year's salary five years ago to run Memphis University and make sure the football team is good. Beth, how can they hire Penny Hardaway? Now you know, Fred Smith. <laughs> That's why this team's going to be good. Hey, but you know what? That's why the United States is the land of opportunity, man. You bust your ass off. You don't have to go to USC. You don't have to go to Alabama. You don't have to go to the Blue. You work your ass off. And you walk on at Houston. You walk on at Memphis. And you get a scholarship by your third or fourth year. You graduate, right? Fred Smith is going to hook you up. You're going to get a job at FedEx, man. And you're going to be made, making at least a couple hundred grand a year. Just because you busted your ass on the football team. Right? Same thing for Houston. For Ted, that will take care of you. Because both these guys, for them to be involved, most of these other people live in an ivory tower and then live in a bees in Spain. These guys are people, people, like being in the locker room, want to win. Right, uh, but they're not over exuberant like uh, Jerry Jones and trying to become a coach <laughs> or their general manager of the program. But uh, they're the reason why I can tell you right now, Memphis is going to cover at Cincinnati October thirty first with no fans. They're dropping some serious betting AAC knowledge on people so they can make that money. The money I've been making on the AAC, I've been lights out AAC. Is I research all the teams that uh, – the only reason I say we, because I don't play on the team, right? We, do you have a mouse in your pocket? The reason I say we is because I do donate 10 grand to the school every year. You know, they got my money. So I'm going to say we, even though I'm not on the team. Players would be like, man, you ain't on the team, man. Stop saying we. <laughs> but whoever plays USF, I research them to death. So when they play each other, I make a lot of money, even though I can't bet my own team because I'm 100% biased. Moving on to uh, Navy, this is a team. Uh, they went eleven and two last year, seven and one. Um, they have six starters returning on both offense and defense. Uh, running the ball, it's going to be uh, Jamel Carruthers, who had fourteen touchdowns last year. And on the defensive side, Diego Falo is uh, he had a hundred tackles last year, along with four sacks. It's kind of that quintessential middle linebacker for the Naval Academy. I'm sure you probably recognize exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, then we look at the coaching staff, and there is – we look at Ken Nui Matolo, who's been there for – I believe this is his 13th year. He's 98-60. and 60, um, Came in right after Paul Johnson left uh, to go to Georgia Tech. Even more impressive is the offensive coordinator, Ivan Jasper. It's his 18th year on the staff and his 12th as the offensive coordinator. We, we see 
offensive coordinators stick around maybe three, four, five, six years at the most. This guy's been not only on staff for 18 years, but 12 years the offensive coordinator. And, I mean, we pretty much know exactly what Navy's going to run. It's going to be the triple option. It's going to be difficult for Navy to replace quarterback Malcolm Perry, who, if you are the most uh, prolific running quarterback in Navy history, that says something. And that's exactly what Malcolm Perry was. Um, we, we also have to remember that the wishbone offense, at least the Navy wishbone offense, is very hard to pick up. Um, I'm not 100% sure what is going on with the practices. I feel like every other school – um, is practicing. I I I just think they have an advantage. Navy at this point, it's not a huge priority. I mean, we're talking about servicemen. These are these are no, men. The that thing about Navy, not to but to that point, the thing about Navy is that they're always practicing because uh, so the the drills they do, being in the academy, sometimes it, you know they laugh at football practice because the drills and other stuff they have to do is more strenuous on the body than actual football. So they might have an edge as far as uh, conditioning. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, I think there's going to be plenty of covers here. Uh, they're not going to win 11 games. They're probably not going to win 10 or even 9. But, I mean, you look at the first line. Uh, we see them against Notre Dame. Uh, that line, what was it? Uh, just had it up. Uh, Navy was 16, 16 and a half point favorites. It's, it's really hard to beat a wishbone team by 17 or more points. Um, when you see lines like that, you're going to take Navy. Navy's going to be in games. They're not going to be uh, winning a ton of games, but they're going to be within seven to 10 points. Um, it's going to pro probably be a bit of a down year for Navy, but like I said, we're going to make money off of those uh, skewed lines and those uh, those sixteen and a half lines that sixteen and a half point lines that we can take advantage of, right? And we always talk about you know basic mental health and the fact that people lack the capacity to change. So, I mean, I'll look at it, and I know they're listening to the podcast, but I'm going to stick with this until it changes, right? Because uh, as we talked to our Houston Baptist guy. They're already game, they've been game planning a month, month and a half ago, two months. They've already been game planned for specific teams. And Navy, uh, even though they work in two-year cycles, and last year was a good cycle, so this will say that maybe this year they take a step back. However, it doesn't matter if Navy's going to be 1-11. That Notre Dame game and that Army game, they're going to look totally different. Because they got specific plays. These are teams they play every year. Uh, Fred Smith, right? Memphis. Perteta, Houston. Navy has the Emeralds. These guys know guerrilla warfare. They know how to take two soldiers, be surrounded by 20, and kill the 20 and come out on top, right? So for them, there's no excuses for the Notre Dame game and for the Army game. So those games are totally different. So you look for that Notre Dame game to go over. Last year was 72 points scored, right? If you think of uh, you, that, that offense they have, right? The triple option, right? It's a running offense, take time off the clock. Usually those games will go under. But Notre Dame plays them every year, so they know how to defense them. 
right? And uh, Navy, they're a developmental program, but because they, these, these guys are trained to be soldiers, not football players, they have less mass because to be honest, even I, I'm over muscular for, you know, typing on the computer, and talking to people on the phone and reading and doing research. I'm over muscular for that, right? So a lot of things in the military, you have the exact amount of muscle to do your job, right? Instead of being an over muscular football. So their defense is never, they always thinking out scheme you, but they're not going to be physical. So they're going to give up a lot of points. That's why they have to stay on the sidelines and let the offense grind with that triple option, which most people don't play every year. Notre Dame does. So that game goes over, and the rest of the other games will go under, right? And then you got to look at the Army game. They beat Army 31-7, to right? They studied them all summer. They had special plays for them. Uh, Army only scored 17 because – the defense, the scheme they came out with, they hadn't run all year. It was special for the Army game. Looked at the flip and pick Army because uh, Monson, the coach at Army, I want to talk about a great developmental coach and a great strategist. That guy is. That's why he was able to beat uh, Navy for two years in a row. And uh, Army should have beat Michigan last year, right? Completely outmanned. They should have beat Michigan because they out-schemed Michigan. And they outdeveloped their players in Michigan. So, again, maybe it's a developmental program because they're developing these guys to be soldiers, right? Uh, and the Palatonos has it down pat. All those guys have it down pat. They know who to recruit. Who can they develop into a decent Division One football player? Uh, so that's Navy in a nutshell. Look for them. You go over uh, against Notre Dame two-year down cycle, so that means that Army is going to cover. The rest of those games, look at the under. Uh, definitely that Temple game, look at the under. Moving on to SMU. They went 10-3 and three last year, 6-2. and two. They were in the mix bit for AAC title. Um, but this, this was a team that's really bad defensively, um, and that's where I find the uh, betting – line at least so that's where i see I, I really like the overs in these games um the returning offensive starters they got seven coming back and it's uh quarterbacks shane buscelli is uh nearly got to four thousand yards last year threw for 34 touchdowns former texas quarterback i think started actually for a full year ended up transferring um we look at the coaching staff it's really interesting uh sunny dykes former cal and louisiana tech head coach it's going into his third year he's 15 11 nothing Nothing crazy, but I do look at the offensive coordinator, and it's Garrett Riley. Um, it's the younger brother of Lincoln Riley, and not only that, um, he was hired away from App State last year, and App State is a team that we won money off of a lot. Um, we rode them Love App State. definitely in the in the um, college uh, the conference championship, and then their play their bowl game. It was it was nice to see that. So it's interesting to see him move from App State to SMU. Um, and then we also have on the defensive side, Kevin Kane, who you want to talk about a guy on the hot seat. This is him. SMU, I talked about how bad their defense was last year. They had back-to-back -back weeks where they allowed 50 points. One of those was to Eastern Carolina. 
Uh, they actually ended up beating Eastern Carolina 59 to 51. Um, obviously the offense bailed them out in that one, but you give up back-to-back weeks allowing 50 points. Something has to change. So I, I do look at Kevin Kane and maybe a redemption year for him. I just don't think the talent's there. And when you do think SMU, uh, Sonny Dykes offensive coach, I, I think that leaves a lot to be desired defensively. I think they're going to have to try and score 42 points a game to be competitive again this year. Right. So this is classic. So you have to look at it because Oklahoma's the same way. Uh, and I'm surprised because Nick Satan has changed a little bit on this. But traditionally, right, the, the, the rule of thumb is that when a team scores fast and the defense has to go back on the field, that wears down the defense. And as the years go along, that wears, you know, even further. So you can't make a determination of a defense necessarily based on the statistics. That's why you can throw analytics. For the most part, 80% of the time you can throw them out because – even though the, the, the statistics on a, let's say, an SMU, Oklahoma, these, are, you know, these teams that score a lot of points might look bad, they're there for that one big stop in the fourth quarter to win the game because the coaches feel that they have an offense that can't be stopped. And they're going to win in, a, you know, it's ego, right? I'm going to get in a shootout. I'm going to beat Dana Holerson, same way, right? So what you got to look at is can they come up with that big stop, right? Uh, all these defensive coordinators have some sort of defense, some sort of scheme they pull out in their back pocket when they need a stop, right? So that's the way these guys are going to be judged. But you look at SMU, two things. You look at the coaching, right? Uh, this Dykes kid, his dad was a coach. Uh, he only cares about offense. Defense was bad at Cal. I mean, everywhere he's been, his defense has sucked. Louisiana Tech. Uh, so he, he just wants to win in shootouts. He's an SMU. It's hot. It's humid. So the defense is going to wear down as the year goes along. And that's what happened last year as that defense, I mean, it gave up 51 points at East Carolina. Our guy, Mike Houston, right? He covered the spread, though. He was lost by a touchdown. That's why we love Mike Houston. So another thing to look at is that uh, consensus, right? Uh Capitalism says that, or socialism says that capitalists can't collaborate. It's all ego. They're always in competition. They can't collaborate to innovate and move forward. SMU football program proves different. George Bush Jr. came up with a consortium. And these four guys, the same way he bought the Texas Rangers and then sold it, the same way he saw Fred Smith, drop a billion into uh, into Memphis. He saw Fertetta drop a billion to Houston. So he came up with a consortium. That's why you see George Bush Jr. You see him at, sitting at every single SMU basketball game. He's sitting right there. That's why they paid for Larry Brown. So the consortium came up with $250 million each. They're all world a check. Again, same formula, $750 million goes to the general student population. They did it a little bit differently. So what they did here was $200 million goes to the football program, and then $50 million went to the basketball. So that's why they can pay for Sonny Dykes, pay him $3 million a year to coach football there at SMU. They have to out-recruit TCU during that same Dallas area. 
Uh, one thing to look at that's going to be very important in college football this year is Rhett Lashley, right? Who is Rhett Lashley? Rhett Lashley was the quarterback coach for our guy, Cam Newton, who's with uh, Billy Belichick. Uh, wins a national championship, becomes offensive coordinator at Auburn with Gus Monsanto. And Gus Monsanto, he's a good Christian man, man of faith that we've been talking about, like McIntyre, like Andy Reid. These guys don't even go out or do anything. They just go to church and watch film. So Goss Malzant would call plays because, you know, he was like Aaron Meyer. Aaron Meyer's the same way. They let a guy like uh, the guy who's coaching at uh, Texas now run the offense, but they have in their pocket 20 plays. And he's a head coach. He's been coaching for 30 years. His great grandkids have fun, have money. They're fun. It's to see if this play works, right? So – he, 20 plays a game was called by Gus Monzon, and sometimes he would take it over the whole thing. So Rhett Lashley, even though he's getting paid $500,000 to be the offensive coordinator at Auburn, he goes to SMU, right? And uh, George Bush Jr. said, well, I'll match your salary. I'm going to write you a check for $500,000, and you can call every play. And Sonny Dykes doesn't have an ego. He's like, hey. I don't have to do nothing. Okay, I'll take my $4 million <laughs> and sit here and let this guy. So, Rhett Lashley called those plays last year. Now, Rhett Lashley is making a million, $1.1 million a year at the University of Miami as the offensive coordinator. As Diaz is saying, you can call all your plays, your, right? So, uh, man, they got Lincoln Riley's brother, who they were saying was going to be the offensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys. There must be some sort of Dallas connection. Because Lincoln Riley was going to go to Dallas. It still might happen maybe next year. Oh, no, they got a new coach. They got the guy from Green Bay. So they decided instead of going to college with veteran NFL guy, uh, Jerry Jones. So Lincoln Riley's brothers getting paid probably about $500 million, uh, $500,000 to be the offensive coordinator. So look for all these games to go over for our purposes. I like it. I like it. And you brought up, you know, the um, SMU part. And it's, it's a team that's going – we know what they're going to do. We know how they're going to win. We know how they're going to lose. Those are the teams that we make money off of very quickly. And like I say, we got you – know, And people might want to know, because this is hardcore football, all right? So this is hardcore football where – uh, you score quickly, the defense is going to wear down, they're going to give up a lot of points. It's just impossible for them not to, no matter how talented they are. And they're just looking for that one big stop. And you're saying, how can these teams score so many points? And the reason is, you got guys like the Riley family. Sonny Dykes is really the same way. If he took over the offense, he's the same way, right? You have these offensive gurus that whatever – defense you're in it's the wrong defense the court that's why the quarterback the fact that uh first report mentioned it right this guy uh bouchette started at texas as a freshman what so he's a smart guy so you can read defenses quickly right so as these guys recruit smart guys these are you know they're they got 4.0s they're gonna be engineering majors like ryan lindley right ryan lindley he loves coaching, but Ryan Lindley graduated from 
San Diego State Medical School. He's a smart guy. So they, they get guys like that to run the offense. And whatever defense you're in is wrong. He reads the defense, and then he checks to the offensive play. It's going to work. Now, it's air raid. So not only did the quarterback track into the right play and communicate it to the receivers, as the play runs, right, both receiver and quarterback can check to a play. So the receiver, like we learned with Ben Rasleff from Houston Baptist football, who's offensive coordinator, is best friends with Clingsbury, right, who's the head coach of Arizona. It's the same offense. Except Arizona's going to be good because they got uh, DeAndre Hopkins as a wide receiver. So that's why these offenses are really unstoppable. They're really like uh, trying to guard an NBA player, right? You're not going to be able to do it. You can't, nobody can guard Greg Carden or anything like that. That's the way these offenses are. And that's why they can score so many points. And that's why they make us money, right? Sometimes you pick the under because it's way inflated over. But you know what's going on. You got to get started. Moving on to uh, Temple. Uh, they went eight and five last year, five and three. They have eight returning starters, including quarterback Anthony R uh, Russo. This will be his third year as a starter. Uh, defensively, they only have four returning starters, but they do have their leading sack man, uh, Ifani Maihe. Uh, uh, six and a half sacks last year. It is Rod Carey, who came from Northern Illinois a couple years ago. Uh, it is his second year. Obviously, went eight and five last year. He brings uh, his his assistants. He's brought over from Northern Illinois. Uh, Mike Umerick and Jeff Knowles both came uh, from Northern Illinois with Carey. They were a very, very inconsistent team last year. This is the only team that beat uh, Memphis in the AAC, but they also lost by Buffalo by two touchdowns. So there's a lot of inconsistency here. Uh, it will be interesting to see how Temple responds as their bowl game ended uh, in the military bowl, their season ended, I should say, in the military bowl last year. Uh, Losing to North Carolina 55-13. to 13. They have to uh, build on that. I expect a bit of a lean year. I think a bowl game will be a nice surprise. But I think this conference is, is really tough. And um, it's Temple lost a lot defensively. That's what kept them in a lot of games. Offensively, probably one of the worst offenses in the conference. Uh, they're really going to need that um, the, the, the backups or the, or the new starters on the defense to come up and and probably play even better than that Temple defense did last year. Uh, but we'll see how that goes when we hear that, though. I, I like the unders in these games. I think you, you're going to have a lot of 17-14 uh, games, 21-17 games, um, even, even against some of the high offenses in this, in this uh, league. Can you hit spot on? Uh, Northern Illinois, developmental coach, right? He knows how to develop players. Uh, Temple. They've done a great job from the Matt Rule days. Um, the guy that used to coach at Boston College that was before Matt Rule. All these guys did a great job recruiting defense. Uh, Jeff Collins, who's now at uh, Georgia Tech. The, it, the reason they got bigger jobs with more money is because they recruited really well on defense. This guy knows how to recruit defense. But Temple has always been a bottom dweller, right? Uh, until these coaches came in and started recruiting great defensive co uh, players. So they play zone, keeps everything in front of you, right? Offense is going to run, run clock. They're always trying to run the clock out, right? Because they're, they're limited talent-wise. 
So they're, they're trying to cut the game in half. So that screams under, right? So last year, these Temple games, uh, that Maryland game went under, uh, totally outcoached that guy, right? Uh, Buffalo actually had a great team. So Buffalo is a developmental program, right? And they're in, uh, I think they're in Conference USA or something like that. In the MAC. They're in the MAC. They're in the MAC attack. They want a great team. I, I understand where you're going. They want a well, great I mean, they're a great team as far as on the level they're at. Beat, my point is if you beat Memphis, you should not lose by two touchdowns to Buffalo. No. Well, Buffalo member had that quarterback who was drafted, man, 6'6". Uh, guy and uh, Buffalo has a coach who won four FCS national titles. Uh, they're sharp. I mean, as far as going head to head with mid level, mid majors, Buffalo uh, is a good program and they can out scheme you, right? They can out scheme you. And it's at Buffalo, it was at Buffalo. You got a guy who's won four FCS national championships. You have uh, and this is how you pick games. You have Temple coming off a high, beating Maryland from the Big Ten, right? They're a physical football team, a team that doesn't have a lot of depth. So they were a beat-up football team, right? Going in and playing Buffalo at Buffalo, right? And then again, how high are you going to be, right, to play Buffalo after you just had this big win over this Big Ten team, Maryland, right? So that, that, that smells Buffalo covering right because remember uh, real intelligence is situational intelligence so that's a game where you analyze that situation man you got to look that edge for buffalo buffalo bulls so yeah they beat them by two touchdowns in that scenario right uh there were a beat up football team on the road and you hit the spot on the head russo isn't that great he has a lot of heart i love him He'll dive head first the first round uh, downs, get his head knocked off. But remember, for a guy, teams like this, they need their quarterback to get at least three first downs on their legs so they uh, have a chance. Like, you know, good teams will win 70% of the time. Temple will have a chance, right? But they're in a big city. Guys that want to stay home, they get good talent. Got to think of... Uh, they really remind me a lot of Houston and Boston College. It's a coach just going to tank this year and make this a developmental year, right? With COVID-19 and all this stuff and develop depth, right? Because you lose to Buffalo like that because you played a legit team like Maryland, and you're beat up, man, right? So they need to develop depth, depth. But first report hit the nail on the head. Uh, bet these unders because they have to keep the score uh, down and keep their defense off the field, especially with first report said all these guys are missing. They have to keep them on the sideline and fresh. So look at a lot of these unders, especially when they play uh, Memphis, when they play UCF, you can't finish universities. Because those lines are going to be inflated. Those teams can score a lot. Next up is uh, Tulane. They went seven and six last year, three and five in the conference. Only four returning starters uh, on offense. Seven 
in uh, on the defensive side, uh, Chase Kucherson, 74 tackles as safety comes back. Willie Fritz, uh, 23 and 27. He's actually impressed. He gave the uh, Tulane their first ever back-to-back -back bowl wins uh, in program history. So despite the 23 and 27 record, he's actually done pretty well at Tulane. They're uh, hoping that, hey, maybe they can get to eight wins. That would be huge. I still think it is a bit of a long shot, especially with only four returning starters. Uh, this is a team that's going to probably be right in the middle of the conference, um, probably score an uh, interesting win against the team and then re regress a week later, something like that. Um, plenty, of, plenty of covers. Uh, I do like the unders for this team. I think Tulane's going to get they, – they were a good offensive team last year, so I think they're going to get – the skewed lines, and I think they're going to be a more defensive first team this year. Ah, uh, Willie Fritz, man, love Willie Fritz. He covered a lot for me when he was uh, the coach of the Raging Cajuns, Louisiana. He's a developmental coach to the core. I think he's a former uh, FCS guy too. Uh, much of a motivator. Now, again, uh, ninety-five percent of people lack the capacity to change. 95% of people live with, live, die within a 20-mile radius of where they were born. 95% uh, of people die with the same religion their parents had. But Willie Fritz has changed. He's no longer going to run the wishbone. He has a new coordinator, and they're going to recruit, and they're not going to have a pro-style offense. So what does that mean to us in the middle of a pandemic with limited practices? I don't think their offense is going to be there. He's a developmental guy. He thinks long-term. So it smells like he's going to be playing for next year. And, again, this is a very competitive conference where you have billionaires pouring millions upon millions of dollars in their program. And Tulane is a poor program. They, they have to do more with less. They need a guy like Willie Fritz, who's a great motivator, great strategist, and has the capacity and willingness to change after, right? Tulane had uh, probably the best back-to-back -back years since Mac Brown coached at Tulane uh, 35 years ago. So, again, you got to look for these games to go under. I think pandemic, you're going to have to look for a lot of games to go under, right? Because they haven't had the practice time. They need to just play zone. Practice social distancing, playing zone, and keeping the games under. Next up is uh, Tulsa, who went uh, four and eight last year, two and six. They do have nine returning starters, including Zach Smith, uh, Baylor transfer, who threw uh, 19 touchdowns. Uh, defensively, though, only four returning, but they do bring back the leading tackler, Zavine Collins, linebacker. Philip Montgomery, this is a guy, it, it was interesting doing the research that. Not only does he still have a job, but he's still the team's offensive coordinator. We obviously weren't good last year. In the five years Montgomery has been there, they've gone 25 and 37. First two years, he started well, but in the last three years, he's won a total of nine games. It's, it, it's lean times for Tulsa, but they've, they've at the very least, it, it's, it's odd to me that Montgomery has at least kept the offensive coordinator job, let alone the head coaching job. Uh, but this is a make-or-break year for Montgomery. They they need to be bowl eligible, or else uh, we're going to be seeing Tulsa making a change. I hey, will. Fire this guy in the middle of a pandemic recession riots. You're gonna fire this guy. First report. Hey, 
I mean, if this this isn't this isn't you know uh, you you can leave your safe spaces everywhere else. These guys have made a lot of money. This is the AAC. We talked about the thirty-five million dollars that it gets to. If you can sit there and watch Memphis do it, Tulsa's got to think, hey, we could have a chance if we get a guy that's not Philip Montgomery. I mean, now do I think that after week four? And they're 0-4, they fire him? Probably not. They let him run the season out because this team isn't going to be good anyway. But right. they have to show improvement at the very least. And uh, we look at what happened last year. And this team not only could have been 6-6, six and six, but they could have been 6-6 six and six against the two best teams in the conference when they took Cincinnati to overtime. And they only lost by Memphis to, by a point. So this right. was a team that we talked about. They were two, two or three plays away from not only being bowl eligible, but beating the two teams that played in the conference championship. Big time. I see five close losses. Mainly what kept him, that that saved him the job is what most people say. Um, So I guess horseshoes and hand grenades and coaching, coaching at Tulsa. That's where everything you can be just close at. Right. And he, uh, those, those alumni in Oklahoma have a lot of money. I remember Bob Stoops saying, hey, you know, we played Tulsa, and I don't brag too much because that alumni has a lot of money, that Tulsa alumni. You don't want to piss them off. And Phil Montgomery hasn't. He must be really good for him to he's, – he's been there five years and had one winning season when he went 10-3, and three, right? So that tells you that he's not doing a great job recruiting there. Because when they got players, they can go 10-3 and win a bowl game. What the alumni wants out of this guy. Uh, five close losses. Uh, what that tells us is that he's a great strategist, but he's not doing a good job recruiting. Right? So he can go at Oklahoma. He can go to Alabama and be a great offensive coordinator to have great strategy. And they have the money just to have a guy who just does recruiting. He can just do his X's and O's, right? So, how was his recruiting last year in the last couple of years? We'll find out. Uh, but the fact that he had five close losses, uh, you got to look at inflated lines, him coming off a loss, and then the other team getting a big number. You know, the UCF game would be interesting if it's uh, it's at UCF. So, at UCF, October 3rd, if you see a crazy line, you know, UCF plus minus 41, look to go the other way. Well, you're Tulsa Hurricanes. They're not going to win, but they, they'll cover the spread half the time. Yep, and that's that's where we make our money. <laughs> exactly. Moving on to exactly. – uh, that, that game, that, that, that uh, East Carolina or whatever, Tulsa at UCF of played line, that money's just as green as the game. Yep, was. exactly. Speaking of uh, UCF, they uh, went ten and three last year, seven and one. Um, and it's kind of ironic that you know that's kind of a down year for UCF to not um, be in the conference title game. They do return eight starters, both on offense and defense. And I think one of the big ones for, especially on offense, is is the return of Dylan Gabriel. He was a, a freshman last year. Obviously, he was the guy who was gonna. Um, step in for Mackenzie Milton after he broke his leg. Uh, he did very well through 29 touchdowns, uh, 3,600 yards, freshman All-American. This 
team is led by Josh Heupel. I remember watching him play quarterback at Oklahoma. He's, uh, he's in his third year. He's 22-4. and four, But a lot of this success has been Scott Frost's success. Uh, obviously, Josh Heupel, look, he, he knows football. I'm not taking anything away. But, but these players have been Scott Frost players. Uh, and, and Josh Heupel now is, ha- is going to be measured to Scott Frost forever. So 10-3, and 7-1 and one might be great for other teams, but 10 and three, seven and one, while you go to the Liberty Bowl or whatever it was, that's not good enough. This is conference championship and BCS Bowl every year or bust. I do like, um, well, maybe not like, it was interesting to see uh, that Randy Shannon has actually been at Central Florida for four years, obviously uh, former Miami Hurricanes head coach and Florida Gators defensive coordinator been successful in Orlando. Uh, the offense has always kind of been the star of the show here, um, but with co-offensive coordinators, it's, it's a little interesting. You got Anthony Tucker, who's been the running back coach for pretty much ever, and he's the offensive. He was promoted to offensive coordinator last year. They they were they were fine last year. They end up bringing in Alex Golish. Um, he's now labeled the co-offensive coordinator. He was hired from Iowa State, but the the book on him is. They brought him in and gave him that title, but his main job is to recruit. And uh, I think Central Florida already has one of the best or the easiest platforms to recruit in the AAC because of their success. And they are in Florida. Um, And this makes it better. I will say they have two games that they're go, or I'm sorry, three games that they just have to win if they really want to get to that BCS bowl. And it's the opener against North Carolina, and then it's at Memphis, which is their sixth game of the year, and home to Cincinnati, um, uh, number, uh, um, which will be their 11th game of the year. Maybe they could possibly lose to North Carolina first game of the year and then go on a run 11 and 12 and 1, but they're going to have to win uh, those games to reach their goal, and I think we're going to learn pretty soon, probably by week seven or game seven, if Memphis, or, uh, UCF is going to challenge for the conference title. And uh, you, you can't finish university there, uh, the rival, our rival of the University of South Florida. So I've been following this team in detail for, you know, the last 20 years that uh, USF has had football. Uh, so again, right, so the way you pick a stock, one of the elements is looking at the management team. And Josh Heupel, in order to because the, the alumni there at UCF that you can't finish, they're a bunch of Midwestern transplants. They have so much money that they retired in their late 40s, early 50s, and dumped them, you know, probably up to a billion dollars now. But like uh, Texas, SMU had four guys come up with a billion dollars. Uh, UCF has like 150 guys come up with a and girls, there's some women in there, uh, to come up with a billion dollars to fund this program. But for Hypo to compete with them, he gives them, and first report was on it, he gives the title of offensive coordinator to somebody so they can pay him seven, $800,000 a year to be the offensive coordinator. But their main job is to recruit. Now, Randy Shannon is one of those guys, that's why he was a head coach. Not only can Randy Shannon recruit, 
He's also an excellent strategy guy. Uh, the way the state of Florida works, right, is that as far as college football and betting purposes, every position in the state of Florida has a legit elite Division One guy, one through ten, one through twelve. Uh, the first five guys in every position, right, eighty to ninety percent of the time are going to go to LSU, University of Florida, Miami. And Florida State, Alabama, and uh, USC used to sneak in there every once in a while with uh, the Mike Williams of the world, uh, the Leonard Williams that plays for the Jets. They all came out of Florida, and they were like one or two in their position. You know, Ohio State. Now, every once in a while, USF will get a guy from one through five. UCF will get a guy from one through five. Now, five through ten. Those guys, right now, most of those guys are going to uh, either USF or UCF, and they're fighting out the you know the Iowa States of the world, the Pitts of the world, and sometimes you're you know Ohio States or Michigan or uh, Cal or somebody like that from a Power Five school. Uh, they want to stay home and they're going to play big time football for these two schools. Now, again, we talk about developmental teams and teams that have talent. So these guys have talent. So at the end of the day, a guy who's the number six running back, right, like a Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack was the number six uh, running back coming out of the state of Florida. He ends up being a first-round draft pick and a superstar in the NFL out of South Florida, right? So that's the model you want. So those are the guys you have at You Can't Finish University. Uh, Dylan Gabriel's legit. He's got all the tools. Uh, the only thing minus he has is height. They might mess him up for the NFL, but everything else is, is good. And uh, Josh Heupel is the offensive coordinator, and he has one of those offenses that whatever defense you're in, right, is the wrong defense. But since they do have a talented defense and they do have uh, a very good strategist as a defensive coordinator, he tries to keep it somewhat under control and not burn out his defense. So they don't burn out as the year goes along, and they can come up with plays in the fourth quarter. All right? Perfect. And this one, uh, I'm going to give my little two cents. And this is this is definitely your uh, your area of expertise. And this is University of South Florida Bulls. This is a team I was talking to you about, you know, what, three or four years ago, it might have been a week or two, they were the number one team in the country. They were – the team that was kind of coming out of nowhere. And now it's been a couple rough uh, coaching hires. I know you're a big fan of Charlie Strong over there. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's a situation where this team, I think, is on a downfall. And we, we disagreed a bit uh, with the Nevada. Have, I mean, uh, USF? Yes, USF. In terms of I, – I, I really don't know – if there's a winnable game on their schedule when you take Bethune-Cookman off. I know that you think they're going to beat Nevada. I think Nevada is a really good team. Um, now, we do have to deal with the weather. That is definitely something. Um, but Nevada has a lot more talent than I think you believe. Um, but we will see. Those are going to be – and they're going to win three or four games. It's just which ones. I do expect, though, I do expect them to cover more often than not. 
a lot because of the weather and a lot because they're going to play. I think in this conference, the teams play each other tough. Now, there are going to be obviously situations where teams get blown out. But even when we talked about, um, who was it, uh, two, two teams ago, um, Tulane. That was a team that really wasn't very good, but they, they, they were within two points of uh, those. No, it wasn't Tulane. It was, sorry about that. Um, uh, East Carolina. East so, Carolina, yeah, East Carolina and Tulsa. Tulsa, thank you. It was Tulsa. Yeah, was, four or five losses. Very close. Um, and, and like we said, this is, this is a team that take two or three different plays out of it, and they're in a different boat uh, right. in terms of winning. And I think the thing that the best part of what we can bring to this podcast is your knowledge on USF, because not only are you an alumnus, but you, 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 you've met or you've, you've interacted with the coach. You know the way South Florida works. You well, know the get it this way. If, the demographic if we didn't know a lot about football, there's no way we would have had the record we had. Oh, yeah. Championship week in the bowl. We, we know a lot about football. And – you would be right about uh, UCF, which we'll close real quickly because I'm biased, right? So my, my opinion, you can take with a grain of salt. But uh, Jeff Scott, he recruited uh, Hunter Renfro, first-round draft pick, zero start first-round draft pick. He recruited DeAndre Hopkins. He recruited Deshaun Watson at Clemson. And, again, remember, there's, there's – uh, 15 legit Division One guys coming out of the state of Florida. He's done very well in the transfer portal. So he's plugged holes sort of like a free agency thing. He comes from a national championship background. Uh, Vinick, he's the owner of your Tampa Bay Lightning. He poured down, guess what, a billion dollars into the University of South Florida program. He's basically bought the downtown of Tampa, right? So that's why we can go ahead and pay – Coach Scott, $3 million, and our, our coordinators, a $1 million each. So for that and many reasons, I think it's uh, going to be the opposite of what uh, First Report said. We've been – there's four hospitals within a 10-mile radius. All the players have been tested every day. Uh, we've been practicing since June the 8th. Uh, and we have great advantages over Houston. Uh, Nevada, we got more talent than Nevada because of that. Because uh, Charlie Strong, as, as weak as he was as a strategist, he knows how to pick players, and he was a horrible strategist. So it made them look worse than what they were, but they still had three close losses, which would have gave them a winning year with uh, Charlie Strong as flawed as he is. All right. Great pod. Uh, another conference down. Uh, we'll be back with you next week. It is, I believe, it's one of the bigs. I'm pretty sure it's the Big 12. Yeah, because we're going in alphabetical order. So yeah, I'm pretty 12. sure it's the Big. Yeah, that's the only built. Yeah, either if you want to do the, well, big, the big 10. Big 10. There's the Big 10. I just don't know how it goes in Athlon. Either way, we will have a big conference for you. Well, what do you want to do so we can tell the people what they can look forward to? Let's, let's do it at uh, 3 o'clock next week. Give us a little more time. Oh, yeah. Uh, but who do you want to do, the Big 12 or the Big 10? We'll do the Big 10. Let's do the Big 10. Big 10. Right. Uh, we'll hop on about 4 o'clock. Us, personally, we'll hop on a little earlier, get our ducks in a row, hop on at 4 o'clock. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's uh, the Big 10, obviously, last year. 
I think top to bottom was the toughest conference. I know the SEC has some really good teams at the top, but top to bottom, the Big Ten always has talent, and, and they all pretty much the same way. The big offensive line, uh, big running backs, good defenses. Can't wait to get into that. Uh, great pod. Uh, we'll talk to you. I will talk to you. a year. $4 million a year from the TV contract. Exactly. I will talk to you all on Sunday. We'll be talking baseball. And then, Josh, I'll be back with you on Monday when we dive in deeper to the uh, NBA. Nice. Nice. Have a great night, everybody. Winston Churchill, make a uh, living from your labor, but you make a life from what you get. Thank you for listening to the ESBC Podcast Network. Nice. Good job, man. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, still recording, just a heads up. Not on Facebook, but... Uh... I'm the best there is.